Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. It's good to be with you. My name's Jesse. Uh, glad to be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, after the service, we are going to have our family meeting, especially for those who consider uh, KBC to be your home, just to update you of, on a few of the family matters um, that, that, that we take once a year, uh, twice a year to, to update people on, and we want to do that today. We know that a lot of people aren't here, so good job for being here yourself. We know that this is a holiday weekend. A lot of people are uh, traveling and, and whatnot, but we, we want to at least present this to those who call KBC home, get it recorded, and we'll send it out uh, in digital format to anyone who missed it. So stick around if you can. Am I echoing? <laughs> it's good. Does it feel like weighty? <laughs> as long as it goes in the right direction, right? Well, again, stick around if you uh, can. And during that time, Kath will be in the back, um, and you're welcome to send your kids if, if they are at their limit at that time, uh, kids through sixth grade, uh, to go help. If you're old, older than sixth grade and you want to go help, that's fine too. You can do that. Uh, it should be about 20, 25 minutes. But before we get there, in order to set the table for that a little bit even, uh, we're going to jump back into our series on the book of James. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to where we left off last week, where we're picking up today in James chapter 2, verse 14, where we're looking in this series that we've been calling a theology for life, at this idea that theology, as much as we may sometimes think uh, what we believe about God and the things of God, as much as we may think sometimes that it's just some abstract set of ideas that has nothing to do with anything, we've been looking in this book along with James that rather it is something that is meant to be worked out and worked into the very fabric of our lives, the deepest parts, the most profound parts. That in a sense, in short, James' point is that faith works. It, it's meant to work. And that's where, as much as we've been seeing that in different ways, that's where James is going to park today in the second half of chapter two. So again, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there and you can follow along with me as I read. Again, from James chapter two, verses 14 to 26. This is God's word. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. 
You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also apart from works, faith is dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask today, especially as we grapple with what has been a rather controversial passage, especially in our theological circles, I ask that you would give us the grace to take you at your word, even here. And to navigate the nuances as you grow us in our understanding of you and your son. And your work in our lives. That as James says, we might all the more live it out before you. And I pray this in the name of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, especially the kids among us, but when I was in school, one of the things that I remember learning, not so well, but I remember learning it nonetheless, was the difference between an antonym and a synonym. Have you learned that yet? The difference between an antonym and a synonym. A synonym, a synonym is two words that mean relatively the same thing. So you could take the one and put it in place of the other, right? What does an antonym mean? An antonym is two words that mean the opposite from each other. So if you want to completely change what you're saying, you would substitute the word you used for its antonym. One of the things I don't remember learning about, though, was what a contronym is. Does anybody know what a contronym is? A synonym is two words that mean the same thing. An antonym is two words that mean the opposite. A contronym is one word that can mean two different things. Like the word wind. You can wind something up, but you can also talk about wind something down, right? Winding something down. Like you can wind up your parents and they can put you in time out until you wind down, right? It can be for the start or the finish. And there are other words like that. Dust. You can dust things in either a way that, 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 that puts dust onto it to dust something with another material or you can dust something off. 
These contronyms, there's about a hundred or so in the English language, maybe more. They're one word that mean two different things, which isn't precisely, but is somewhat what's going on in a chapter like James chapter 2 where James is talking about an issue that was circling around the early church. It was making its rounds, and he's making a very definitive statement using language that he would have heard coming through the grapevine, probably from a twisted Pauline theology. This guy named Paul was going around telling everybody that you're justified by faith alone. And somewhere that trickled down in a warped kind of way so that when James heard it as sort of a bishop, the high guy of, of the Jerusalem church, the city center church in the city center where God started everything, James sort of hearing this takes the very same language to undo what he saw as a very problematic statement. The language of works and faith and this big word, justification. However, what I hope we see is that James is not really talking against that guy named Paul, but rather talking about something very different. Using the same words in very different ways which is what I want to, again, just look briefly at this morning as we dive into this passage in James chapter two. To see how James is saying something different, not contradictory, but different than the Apostle Paul, than something Paul would say in, say, Romans 3.38, where he says, we hold that one is justified, that's a big word, justified, made right before God, declared by the judge to be right in God's sight, justified by faith, Paul says, apart from works of the law. Or similarly, he says in Galatians 2.16, that we know, even that as Jews, we know, Paul says, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. What I hope is that we can see that James is saying something that sounds very different, but only because he's talking about something very different. That this relationship between faith and works for James deserves a bit more attention than maybe even some of us have given it. Because faith, when it comes to works, first, according to James, first, is no good without them. That it's second, inseparable from them. And third, that it is justified, and we'll see what James means by that, that faith is justified by them. Again, we're going to see today, according to James and his use of these words, that, that first faith, it, it, it's no good without them, these works, that it's second, inseparable from them, and third, that it's justified by them. First, that faith is no good without them. And here we're picking up at verse 14 where James says precisely that when he asks, what good is it, my brothers, 
if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And the answer James assumes is none. It's no good at all. Not for the one who says it, nor for the others that faith is meant to benefit. Not for the one who says it, who, who says, I'm a man of faith, I'm a woman of faith, I'm a child of faith. For James asks, can such faith save them? Can that faith of which there's no evidence except the lip service coming out of their mouth for which there is no works, not in the sense that they're trying to get right with God on their own, what, what Paul calls specifically works of the law, but for which there are no works, no evidence that that faith is even real. James asks, can that faith Save them? No. Not because faith doesn't save, but because faith like that, according to James, it's the wrong kind of faith, if it's even worth calling faith at all. It's like when I was a kid and we had those see at the pole rallies. Anybody know the see at the pole rallies? Public school, I know you don't have to get put through that if you're homeschooled. We may, maybe we should try that this year. We should send our kids to the pole. So see at the pole rallies. It was like that as a kid. And I remember even the day before, they would have these huge rallies that you would go to just to get everybody pumped up in order to show up. And I remember one year they even made t-shirts. And it's like a separate issue, like the fact that that was the first day, you know, it's early on in the semester, it's barely into September. That was the first day everybody decided we're wearing sweatshirts today. You know, autumn's coming, it's cooling down. That's like a separate issue. But interestingly, the one year, very interestingly, was the year that the t-shirts actually became a fashion commodity. I'm walking through school and like the local drug dealers got a, an I Believe t-shirt on. Like he's still doing drugs in it and dealing them in school. Or the guy who's going around and picking up all the girls. Like no problem, I believe and I'm gonna get the girl too. As if that means anything. And yet, we do that, don't we? We do that. We all have a tendency to do that, to claim something, name something, but never follow through. So that functionally, it means nothing. We're just wearing the T-shirt, but it hasn't changed a thing. To which James asked, this is what James is asking, can that lip service faith, can that t-shirt brand faith, can that cultural Christianity, that t-shirt testimony, can that save someone? No. It's no good. No good for the one who says it, but neither is it any good for the one that faith is meant to benefit. 
Leave it to James to get super practical when he is at his most theological as he makes his point by describing this hypothetical situation about a brother or sister, a member of the community of those who really do believe, who James says in verse 15 is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. Poorly clothed, not in the sense that they've been shopping at the Salvo even, the Salvation Army, right? This is about a guy who cannot even afford the Salvation Army. Among us, if somebody like that was here where they've fallen on the the type of times they cannot even provide for their daily needs, and yet, what good is it if you then, if one of us then rises up and in our piety says, go in peace, be warmed in your nakedness, Be filled with your lack of food. But then do nothing about it. The real point, it's not good for the one who says it. It will not save. But don't you see how this doesn't work either for the community of faith that God is building to be his own? That it is no good. Not for no one. Such faith, it's no good. Not for the ones who profess to have it or for the ones that faith is meant to benefit. As we both pour out what what God's poured into us and those who have nothing through that experience the pouring in of God. That it defuncts the system and in the end does nothing. But James' point here, and it was Jesus' point before him, is not just that faith is no faith like that is no good without works. James' point is that second, faith is inseparable from them. Which maybe helps peel back the onion a bit because those who argue most vehemently that we are saved through faith and not our works are sometimes those in the greatest danger of pitting these two things against each other, these two aspects of our life in Christ and our walk with God. When James says they go very much hand in hand. And to make his point, James introduces the conversation into the conversation, someone he can debate with. You ever do this? I do this with my kids. He says in verse 18, but someone will say, I do this with our kids all the time, but someone will say, someone will say, again, hypothetically, knowing that the child is right right in front of you, right? Someone will say, someone may say, he says, and you may be tempted to say as well is, is the point, right? Someone may say, you have faith, someone out there, and I have works, That they're two different ways of walking with God. And it's to that person, six or half dozen, which you choose. It's a personality thing. Some of us are just more faith people. Some of us are just works people. And it just gets expressed differently, right? 
It's just expressed. Some of us do the piety thing well. Others do the grunt work. It's just two different things. And yet, James says, you really want to play that card? That faith and works are just two different ways of walking with God? He says, let me unravel the argument a little bit by simply saying, show me. Show me for the ones on the faith side of the divide that that's all I need and it's good enough. And others can do the grunt work. James says, show me. Show me faith apart from works. Without any reference to works. You can't. I will show you my faith by my works. And really, it's a matter of otherwise, how are we to tell who has faith and who doesn't? How has God left us to navigate that? Because it's important. This world is highly religious. It is intensely religious and only, according to sociologists, becoming more so. How do you navigate that? Because everybody's pitching a faith. A faith that they so supposedly believe in. And even within our own con- the confines of our own side of this thing, how do you navigate the diversity of Christianity if not for the fruit people bear? How do you know if it's not just a t-shirt type of religion? Or who's to say the gunmen who a month ago today who walked into the, the synagogue in California, who's to say he wasn't just as he says he it was, just going in there in the name of Jesus, a pastor's kid from an OPC church, and claims it was totally God's thing for him to do. How do you tell the difference? Except that the fruit doesn't look a lot like the tree. That the works don't match up with the faith he says he's a part of. Which cuts it off. All the debate that, 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 that just burned on Twitter and, and all the pastors saying, honestly, everything he's saying about, about our religion, like apart from, from how he's worked it out, what he's saying about being saved by faith and, and, and by grace through faith, this is all, this is true. This is what we do believe. But where he's gone with it, immediately separates him from who we are. Pastor's kid or not, he has no place because he does not come under the king. And you cannot tell, though, except that his actions didn't align with the one he supposedly put his faith in. See, they aren't two separate things or ways of walking with God. I feel like 
we're tempted most to go there when we start to falter in one way or the other, right? My faith is lacking, at least I'm working. I'm not really working, but at least I trust God to save me. These aren't two different things. There's a real struggle that all of us can, 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 can walk through, but, but, but essentially, these aren't two separate things that you can just put on two sides of the divide. The relationship is much subtler than that because the one is the evidence of the other. It's the outgrowth. It's the overflow. And James' point, and it's what Jesus said before him, is that the love of God which, which grows in us a genuine love for God necessarily flows and is expressed through a genuine love for others. Because remember, that's the works that James is talking about. The works of mercy. Having experienced the mercy of Christ that we then, that we then pour that out on those around us. At the Love of God, which grows in us a love for God, is necessarily expressed, necessarily flows into a love for those around us. Not necessarily because they're so lovely. People are hard. You are hard. but because we know the love of God. I'm hard too, I know that. (laughs) But because we love, we know the love of God. And not just as a show, right? Faith works, not just as a show with pious words of be warmed and be filled, but through an opening up of our doors, an opening up of our hands, an opening up of our calendars, an opening up of our, of our bank accounts, God forbid. And if you don't love others, especially the unlovely and the unlovable, there is something defunct about your love for God and questionable about whether you know the love of God. There's something defunct about your faith. Because verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Yet even the demons believe, and at least they shudder. This is not some name it, claim it, go on with life as you like kind of religion. It's a costly discipleship. It's a following Jesus to the cross. It's a dying to yourself because he died for you and, and, and because he enables you to live like you can never live without him. Then you can really die. That faith works. That it's no good without them. It's inseparable from them. And third, that it is justified by them. It's justified. That it is justified by them. Or more to James' point, that we, we are justified by them. Which is what he says beginning in verse 20. When he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, who professes 
faith without doing anything or who claims that faith doesn't have to do anything. He says, do you want to be shown that faith apart from works is useless? Literally, that faith apart from works does not work. That's what he says. We don't go there, but we should. That faith without works does not work. And to prove it, he cites two examples, beginning with Father Abraham. You remember, right, kids? You remember? Father Abraham, many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, right? But this is about the time in the story when he didn't have many sons. This is about the time in the story when he had one son. And there's Abraham with his only son, and James says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son, his only son, the son whom he loved, when he offered him up on the altar? which is exactly what it sounds like. Bound him up, offered him up to be burnt up. Was not Abraham justified when he did so? Not justified like he was in the right, like he decided to do it and he chose the right side of history, but that it proved him It proved the faith that was inside. Now, what you've got to understand is that this was an age, Abraham was living in an age when when this sort of child sacrifice was everywhere. Everyone was doing it. Not that because everybody does it, that makes it right either. But everyone was doing it. And Abraham had been called out of a people where he probably, most likely, you know, chances are, he partook in this. And he moved into a society who even more so did it. Child sacrifice. The only difference was is that they were doing it to gods that didn't even exist. So that when the one true God finally wants to test Abraham's faith, the guy he chose to to create a people that were going to be different, what does he do? The guy whom he had called as his own, through whom he was going to send his son, this is where he decides to test him. It's a little like Milgram's experiments following the Holocaust. Have you heard of this? A guy, a Yale uh, psychology professor, a Yale University psychologist named Stanley Milgram, who, who set out following the Holocaust to measure the willingness of participants to obey authority, even when asked to perform actions that were in direct conflict with their consciences. And they were ordered uh, to inflict harm on another individual. So this was the setup. You had a, a, a guy, uh, the, the authority in the room, and you had a, 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 a victim, for lack of a better term, a victim who is there who is taking some sort of written test. And a participant was brought in, not knowing that the whole thing was staged, brought in and sat down at the control of basically uh, you know, a, a, con- a control board that, that gave him the opportunity, 
uh, or, or, or not, to electrocute the other guy in the room at the whim of the authority, right? This was a thing. This guy in Yale, he, you know, the basement of Yale University, doing this experiment. And what they found was that generally, even against one's conscience, we are such that we follow authority. This is what God was putting Abraham through. That was the results of the test. Generally, we do. We do this. We follow authority, and God was testing it. The only thing was is that in this, this, this study that was repeated all over the world, the one uh, or two clinchers that changed the study dramatically didn't change socioeconomics, didn't change where you came from, didn't change cultural background. We're pretty much all the same. We will all just give in to authority except what? When the authority is removed to a greater and greater distance and when you are, are perceive a, 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 a decreasing distance between you and the victim you're about to inflict harm on. So that in the case of Abraham and Isaac, you know, God is just some voice in the sky. He, he's about as far away as he could be. But Isaac, this is his son. So that God is functionally saying, listen, about that boy of yours, that boy that I promised you, the one you love so much, I want to ask you, do you love me more? But not just more than him. I want to ask you as my own, the one through whom I'm doing this, this great thing, this new thing, this different thing. I want to ask you also, do you love me more than the pagans love their made-up gods? Would you give me back what I gave to you? So that James says, as much as years before God had given the promise of, of a nation, of a, of a multitude of children to Abraham, years before, and, and which is where we find this verse where James later quotes, that, 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 that God credited it to him, counted it to, 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 to Abraham as righteousness, justification. He was justified before God in a, a legal sense for his faith. That while that happened years before, this is what James says. Justified Father Abraham. When he gave up the one chance he had at being a father. Because he loved God more than his son and more than himself. And more than his need to make him what God had promised well sure that he would be. James says it justifies us. It justifies our faith, the works, and it justifies who we are. That as he says, faith in verse 22 was active along with Abraham's works. This is what it means for James to be justified, that it was active, it proved it, and that faith was completed by his works. The, the, the faith that came before, this is what its end was. 
and that the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In verse 24, that a person, including even Father Abraham, is justified by works and not by faith alone. It's interesting that phrase, faith alone, right? Such a hallmark, right, of who we are. James is the only one that ever talks about faith alone. And it's precisely to say we are not justified by faith alone. It is a certain type of faith. Otherwise, it's no faith at all. And to the example of Abraham, James then adds the example of Rahab. Don't you love this? Because Abraham is so obvious. Everybody was pointing back to Abraham. But Rahab? And yet I think that's the point. Because Abraham so obviously demonstrated and had so many opportunities, so many failed opportunities, so many opportunities to demonstrate his love for God. Where the only demonstration of Rahab's love for God is found in her love for others. This is the royal law, the law of the king. Love God with all your heart and love others as yourself. And look at Rahab, a foreigner who had nothing, no way in. And yet, what does James say? And yet, in her receiving of the messengers and then caring enough about them to send them out by another way. This isn't getting into the, did she lie? Was that righteous or not right? This is just saying a heart that's imperfect as it is was doing so out of a love for God that poured out from the love for his people. Look at Rahab. And yet just like Abraham, even amidst a life as colorful as a bag of Skittles, this woman was justified by her works. Not in the sense that her works are what got her good with God. They didn't. It was his grace that opened up that door, her faith that allowed her to walk through. But justified in the sense that her works proved her heart. Because a faith that saves is, by definition, a faith that works. In these ways, the way that James is using these words, not works of the law, not justification in the legal sense, not faith by itself, but is a faith that works and is no good without them is inseparable from them and is justified by them because a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to be clear here, a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the son that God did give over to be bound up, to be offered up, to be good as burned up on our behalf, the one in whom God has given us life, such a faith cannot help but like Abraham, but like Rahab, give it all back and lean all in to God. Or like Rahab, pass it on all to others. 
For as James says in verse 26, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. My prayer for us, even for the year ahead, as we even take some time, those again who consider KBC home and are going to stick around to, to sort of talk shop, my prayer for us is as we are going to get into some financial stuff and some of the details of that and sort of where we're at, where we could go, what the, what's the hope there, but so much more. My prayer is that our faith would be such that it overflows in works, in love for God, in love for others, that we would not be able to help looking more and more like Jesus. We're going to sing in a second before we, again, turn to that family meeting. And if you're not, if you don't consider KBC your home and this is going to bore the living daylights out of you, you are welcome to leave. Again, if you are through sixth grade, you're welcome to join Kath in the back. If you're above that and you feel like, I don't even know what they're talking about, I, I invite you to ask your, whoever's over you, to join and help out. Um, but for the rest of us, I pray we would keep this in mind, even as we talk details, that this is about so much more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is my prayer that we would be a people, be that people, so touched by the gospel of Jesus, by his sacrifice on our behalf, that we would be a people who likewise cannot help but reflect that in our love back to you and our love for others. That we would give of ourselves for those who cannot give back. That we would live a life of mercy because we've known the mercy of your Son. That we would be doers of the Word, not hearers only. Lean hard into the places of life where we fall short the most. That we would even in the pain of life cling to you because faith does work. I pray we would more and more with James know what it means to live in gratitude for the cross, in submission to the throne as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.